I'm Dr. Ann Hallward, and this is a special program from Safe Space Radio. The social landscape is changing for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Americans. There's every reason to believe that the message coming from the Supreme Court is there is no shame in who you are and who you love. But gay and transgender teenagers face epidemic levels of depression and suicide. Over the next hour, we're going to hear about the challenges they're facing. I used to sit in the hallway by the gym with my friend and we would just like skip class and sit there and cry because people would pick on us or shove us into lockers or call us names. We'll hear too about reasons for hope. I was in the airport and I got a phone call out of the blue from a dad and he's like, I just wanted to call and tell you, oh my God, this research, it saves lives. That's all coming up on Safe Space Radio after the news. This is a special program from Safe Space Radio. I'm Dr. Ann Hallward. I'm a psychiatrist, and in my work, I see how much suffering is caused by shame, stigma, and silence. But I've also seen how much things can change when someone dares to share their story. This hour, we're gonna give you a window into the hidden struggles of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning teenagers. Stories of their pain and their triumphs. If the alphabet soup of LGBTQ feels like a mouthful, we're just talking about teenagers who are coming to terms with either their sexual orientation, who they're attracted to, or their gender identity, whether they feel like a boy or a girl inside. Figuring out who you are is a big part of being a teenager, and how you're accepted or rejected during this time can have a lasting impact on the rest of your life. The pace of social and legal changes about LGBT issues has been extraordinary. It feels like we're living in a whole new era of acceptance. But for gay and transgender teens, those changes haven't really caught up with them yet. Over the past year, I've been talking to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning teens. For them, the immediate threats of isolation and attack are real and happening now. In high school, if you're different, you're like the main target for people to feed off of. I didn't feel safe in my own house. I felt like I had nobody. I didn't know if I was going to end up in a shelter or what. Being a child and having these different feelings that you're not sure if other people have these feelings, um, it's very scary to explore that. You figure, if I am gay, then I will be alone. So I'm straight, because normal people are straight. In my second year of medical school, we began studying psychiatry. I still remember our first lecture on suicide. As I was sitting in that auditorium with 150 other students, the lecturer told us that in the US, one of the groups at the highest risk for attempting suicide was LGBT teens, kids. I don't know what I pictured when I thought of someone attempting suicide, but it wasn't a 15-year-old. That was over 20 years ago, and still today, over 30% of all LGBT teenagers attempt suicide. For any group of kids to be at such an increased risk of harm isn't just their problem, it's a public health emergency. Something serious is happening when that many children feel so hopeless that they want to die. They came up behind me and they pushed me up against a locker. He said something along the lines of, Get away from me, you tranny. No one was there. No one saw him. So he could have basically done anything. She kept on telling me to report it, and I always did. And I told her at the school never did anything. She'd agree with me. And I think it just exhausted her, too, because it was every day, almost, I was coming home just upset. I think it just wore down slowly. I'm out but not open about it. People just presume I'm straight, and whenever it does come up, I start feeling really, really uncomfortable because it's usually around people who wouldn't be supportive, and that's when I feel vulnerable and like I could definitely be attacked. The threat of being either emotionally or physically attacked is very real. Transgender teens face exceptionally high rates of physical assault and harassment. Even by themselves, words that dismiss and judge can have lasting, even lethal, impact. We take them in and we believe them. We become very afraid that they're right. 
you know, I asked my mom what she thought about the whole movement. She basically said, I don't really care, but I really wish that they would shut up about it. They were just like coming at me like, why are you making this choice? You're hurting so many people you love. You're going to lose everyone. One time in the lunchroom, someone at my table complimented the new shoes of the boy sitting next to me. And he said, I don't really like them. They're fag shoes. Right next to me and didn't notice that anything was wrong. People would say, oh, that's so gay about things that were stupid or worthless. And it made me think that they must think that I was stupid and worthless too. So here's the situation many kids find themselves in. They feel different and alone, afraid of being attacked, and afraid of losing the people closest to them. Kids are especially afraid of losing their parents, who they still depend on for almost everything. Every parent loves their kid from the beginning. This is Samantha. I don't think any parent really wants to ruin their relationship with their child, but it can happen. I mean, it happened for me. When Samantha was 16, she started dating a girl at her school. She'd known she was gay for a while, but she hadn't told her family. She didn't know that one of her teachers had seen them together and informed her parents. When her mom called that day to say that they needed to talk, Samantha could tell from her tone that she knew. We had like a four-hour conversation that did not go well. I got, you've always worn pink, you've always worn tutus when you were little, like you've always been girly. And I had to explain that gender expression and sexual orientation have nothing to do with each other. You're just who you are, and it still doesn't click for them. I'm sure they just wanted the normal life for me, a husband, kids, but I guess what they don't realize is that this is normal for me. It's just really made our entire relationship really negative. Like, I don't know how I'll be able to have the same relationship that I used to have with them. Perhaps the greatest human need is to know that we are good. And the people we most want to see this goodness are our parents. We want them to be proud of us. When young people don't feel connections to caring adults and to positive peers and to a supportive family, that can have some really profound impacts. Dr. Elizabeth Sawick does research on stigmatized youth at the University of British Columbia. Even parents who, they love their kids and they really do want the best for their kids, they try to respond in ways that they think are caring, but that the young person actually interprets as rejecting. They don't want their child to face bullying. So they think, well, if you could just not be gay, then this would be so much better. And, you know, if your parents aren't even in your corner, it's really tough to have that sense of possibility and hope for the future. The challenge we all face growing up is staying close to your family while being true to yourself. Psychiatrists call this differentiation, and it's difficult. It can feel so much easier to either hide who you really are and not rock the boat, or be yourself but withdraw from your family. To be who I am and let myself be known by my parents, that is hard to do. Even as adults, many of us avoid really showing who we are to our parents. But it's important because we want to be known and loved at the same time. People thrive when they have both. When you're gay, you've got a whole additional challenge because there's a significant generation gap when it comes to LGBTQ issues. And the parents and grandparents who you're coming out to grew up in a whole different world. My name is Emily, and I'm from Kennebunk. When Emily came out to her parents during high school, it actually went really well. They were supportive. She became a leader in her school's gay-straight trans alliance. Things were good. For her 16th birthday, Emily's aunt and grandmother took her on vacation. We were sitting at a hillside restaurant, beautiful views, you know, very scenic, amazing dinner. And my aunts wanted me to talk about what I've been doing in school and what's been new. And I started telling them how I just got elected the president of my GSTA. And out of nowhere, my grandmother's like, this isn't appropriate 
for dinner and this is bad what you're doing. It's making me uncomfortable and you just need to stop. It was hard to hear that from her because she's one of my biggest role models. Like I just put a lot of validity in her statement and I was like, well, maybe this isn't okay. Maybe my mom was wrong and my parents were wrong and I really questioned everything. I was destroyed. I was just like, what do I do? Like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And, and I talked to my mom and we had a lot of conversations about what I should say and if I should say something to her. And finally, just one day I was at her camp and I was like, you know, Meme, can I talk to you about something? And I was like, you know, I have a lot of resentment toward you right now, like ill feelings toward you. And I don't want that because I love you. And we talked about it. And she said that when she grew up that, you know, gay people just weren't a thing like you didn't talk about it if you thought you were you know you were wrong and people got disowned her brother was gay and her parents stopped talking to him at 18 like he didn't go to their funeral when they passed away like it was just a disconnect like he never existed she was crying when she was telling me and you know apologizing for everything she had ever said to me and she was like i'm so sorry for ever hurting you the last time we had to talk, she actually ended with, well, I'm really proud of you, and I love you a lot no matter what, and I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so it's a year later after I had the conversation with my grandmother, and she was talking to her friend after marriage equality passed in Maine, and her friend was like, well, did you hear about what happened in Maine? And my grandmother was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, they passed gay marriage. The homosexuals are taking over. And my grandmother was like, you know, that's absolutely wrong like why would you say that when she was telling me the story she got all worked up and her face got red and she was doing all the french hands gestures and just really getting into it like someone was taking a stab at like herself like she was defending me like she was defending herself it was just perfect In 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that marriage is a constitutional right available to everybody, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. Mary Bonato was one of three attorneys who successfully argued this case. I had a chance to talk with her about how this decision actually relates to the lives of teenagers now. One of my great hopes from the decision is that parents, among others, will come to realize that their children, their LGBT children, can have a great life. They don't have to worry that their children will never be able to marry, that they're gonna carry around this stain and stigma of discrimination, that they'll never be able to have kids. To the contrary, this decision makes it clear, at least as a matter of law, that LGBT young people and all LGBT people can have as full a life as anyone else. As parents, it may be hard to live with the fear that being gay or trans will mean a harder life for our children. But the kids who have the best chance of thriving have the support of their families. It gives them a place of strength and safety to take on all the other challenges they'll face. If you want to add your voice to this conversation, share your reactions and experiences with us online. Join the discussion at safespaceradio.com. Click on Community Conversations. Coming up, you have to look at each person and say, do I trust them? Would it be good or bad? Would it be safe or dangerous? The stresses and strains of being out of the closet in high school when we return. You're listening to a Safe Space Radio special about the challenges facing lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender teens today. I'm Dr. Ann Hallward, and it's time to take a trip back to high school. High school is such an important experience for us as teenagers. It's where we develop a lasting sense of who we are in the world. And as we're developing our independence and identity, we're hyper aware of how we fit in and how we don't. That's especially true for LGBTQ kids who are at greater risk for rejection, isolation, and even attacks. People are literally telling them that the way that they're different is actually wrong. To understand how these things come together to put these kids at such high risk for depression and suicide, we're going to hear about what it's really like for them at school, starting with what matters so much to kids, their friends. 
Samantha is a graduating senior. Early in high school, she realized that she liked girls. And when she was ready to stop hiding that, she decided to start by telling her best friend she was a lesbian. They were like sisters. They'd been close since middle school and could tell each other anything. When I came out to her, at first she said, okay, thank you for telling me. And then a couple months later, she started withdrawing, refused to hang out with me, refused to answer my texts, my phone calls. So I finally asked her why, and she didn't reply to me. She sent a note during class to my other friend and said, I don't want to be Samantha's friend anymore. I didn't really understand until her dad called my mom. He said, how does she even know? She's never had sex with a boy. Then my friend's mom asked if we could meet and talk about this. She said, we can either meet at Starbucks or we can meet at your house because you are not welcome in my house. We met them at Starbucks and my friend was sobbing and I'm sitting here like, why do you get to cry? They were just coming at me like, why are you making this choice? You're hurting so many people you love. You're, you're going to lose everyone. And... It was rough. <laughs> they told me I was just a bad influence on her. She didn't want to be my friend anymore, and her parents didn't want me to be her friend either. So my mom said, really? She's a bad influence? <laughs> She's a straight-A student. She's so bright, and I don't know. <laughs> I still wonder how I'm a bad influence. Her friend's parents seemed worried that Samantha might somehow be able to make their daughter gay, as if it were contagious. But it's not possible to make someone gay. Sadly, this misconception has done terrible damage. My own profession of psychiatry contributed to it. For years, psychiatrists defined homosexuality as a disorder and supported forms of therapy based on the idea that it was possible to make a person straight. It's not, because being gay isn't a condition. And this practice has been rejected as ineffective and unethical. But the idea persists with many adults. So today's kids still suffer from that. Samantha's story shows us how coming out can turn friends into strangers. It can also turn total strangers into enemies. When individuals are targeted for bullying based on their sexual orientation or gender identity, it's part of something larger, prejudice. And if you're on the receiving end, it can make you feel doomed, like there's a target on your back that you can't take off. Aiden is a transgender boy, and he's experienced it firsthand. My brother had the car, and he was probably out till 2, 3 in the morning, and he came home, and my mom wakes up at like 6. And uh, from the window, all you could see was the front window, and that just had like a giant penis drawn on it. So we thought maybe my brother's friends were just screwing around with him. And then when he woke up, he was like, that was not there when I got home. So like we went outside, and he went to go wash off the car, and he saw what it said on the back window. He came in and told my mom about it and was like, you guys need to come see this like right now. Someone had written, like, transgender f on the car and faggot and just, like, all this stuff on the car with, like, uh, a marker on the windows. It was, like, really heartbreaking, the fact that someone could put you down like that and make you feel so bad about yourself. Many times, students who pick on other kids do it because they want to fit in with the rest of their friends. They don't realize the consequence of their behavior and their words. Charles Robbins is the leader of the Trevor Project. They provide workshops in schools on bullying to help build empathy for the kids who are targeted. We'll ask the class, do you think if you were gay or lesbian that you would feel different? Everybody agrees. They nod their head. They say yes. For us, we find that a lot of youth find it an aha moment, that they're actually subconscious to the fact that their words and actions could have a fatal consequence. 
And when you use harsh words like fatal consequence or murderous behavior, it's a little bit alarming, but hopefully what it does is remind them that other people have so many things going on, just like they do, but they don't know the circumstance of that individual. And the consequences are serious. The Trevor Project runs a national suicide hotline for LGBTQ teens that gets 45,000 calls a year. Across the United States, fully 74% of gay and transgender kids report verbal harassment. And over a third of trans kids report actual physical assaults. Research shows that the more a kid is bullied, the more likely they are to have lower grades and less ambition to go to college. Transgender students suffer such repeated harassment that they are 10 times more likely to miss school than their peers. And it's a constant and high-stress situation. Will just graduated. When he was in school, he worried a lot about how people would react to learning he was bisexual. You know, four or five times a day, you have to look at each person and say, do I trust them? Do I know enough about them to think that they'll be okay with this? There's a level of risk analysis involved. What have they said to me before? What do I know about their family, their background? Everyone you're meeting, you have to run that analysis on. Would it be good or bad? Would it be safe or dangerous? Worrying about safety all the time takes an enormous toll. Teenagers can feel very vulnerable, and that can lead to depression. And depression is a real problem, not just because that child is suffering, but because it impacts their ability to function, to learn, to work, to have healthy relationships. I've had a number of close friends who've really struggled with depression. LGBT kids have all the concerns of being human and being a teenager, all of the stuff that happens anyway, and then on top of that layer, fear of being found out, being outed, maybe feeling like they're alone if they haven't come out to many people, maybe shame depending on the context they're in, and you have a lot more weight than any one person should be carrying. It's a very short road to depression. Within the psychiatric community, it's understood that depression is a brain disease, a biological problem. But it's not just something you're born with. The brain is literally changed by the things that happen to us. We can measure these changes in the brains of adults who suffered severe stress in childhood and adolescence. So when teens are made to feel alone and afraid and hopeless, their brains can begin to change, becoming more susceptible to depression. To help these kids, we have to realize that the problem isn't who they are. It's how they're treated. Attorney Mary Bonato told us how this same idea came up during the Supreme Court arguments on marriage equality. One of the interesting things in the Supreme Court was the number of friends of the court on the side against us that wanted to maintain the marriage bans that said, gay people are damaged. LGBT people are deficient. Look at the high rates of suicide, substance abuse mental illness, and so on. And thankfully, there were also friends of the court on our side that talked about minority stress, that the real problem that we have is not being gay, being transgender. The problem that we have is discrimination, and that laws and policies that perpetuate discrimination against LGBT people, just like you know, different treatment of people because of their race, because of their gender, are things that make people feel badly about themselves, put burdens on them, psychic burdens and legal burdens. And minority stress is absolutely correlated with all of those things, higher smoking rates, higher uses of substances, uh, poorer mental health. And so the real issue is not being LGBT, not being black, not being a woman, but the discrimination. And discrimination is coming at them from all sides when they're in school. Too often it becomes overwhelming. And many of these kids too many can't see a way out. Remember, over 30% of all LGBT kids attempt suicide. It got that serious for Aiden when he was in high school. My freshman year, I used to sit in the hallway by the gym with my friend and we would just like skip class and sit there and cry because people would pick on us. They'd call you names or sometimes they'd like shove you into lockers. You just like try to walk away from them quickly or go near a teacher so they'll stop. I didn't feel good about who I was, and I just felt like it wasn't worth it anymore, and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, in March of 2012, I think it was, I had tried to commit suicide. 
understand how things got to that point for Aiden, we need to back up a few steps. The process of coming out to yourself, of understanding who you are, really is just that, a process. It can take a while to figure out, especially when the whole world thinks you're one thing, but that one thing, it just feels wrong. When Aiden started high school, his life was very different. For one thing, his name was Mary. And in case you were wondering, Mary didn't have Aiden's deep voice. As a freshman, I went in as a straight girl. I didn't know any gay people until I got to high school. And by the fall of my freshman year, I decided that I was a lesbian. Like, I knew I liked girls, and I dated girls. That felt more right than being a straight girl, I guess. But there was still something missing. Like many kids entering their teens, Aiden hadn't been exposed to lots of different ways of being in the world. He only knew that he didn't feel like Mary, the straight girl. When he discovered that being lesbian was a possibility, there was finally some hope. There might be a way to understand why he felt so different. But when that didn't feel right either, things seemed even more impossible. And it's like scary asking for help. As a 16, 17-year-old kid, going up to an adult and being like, I don't like myself and I don't know what to do about it, like that is really hard to get the nerve to say that to someone. He didn't have the language to talk about the thing that was missing, but there was an answer for Aiden. It was something he dreamed about his whole life. When I was little, I used to go to bed and be like, I wish I could wake up and just be like a boy for a day, if that's all I could have is just a day. But I didn't think it was like a real thing that there was like transgender people. So the only options he could see were either continuing to feel very wrong or not continuing at all. And that's when he tried to kill himself. A couple days after, I told a teacher at my school because I didn't know how to ask for help, but I figured this was my best shot. Aiden's mom, Sue, soon learned about what had happened. And from there, well, that's where the story of Aiden really begins, with a road trip. After the suicide attempt, my mom, she didn't want to leave me alone, so she went on a trip to Boston and I went with her. We were just like driving there and it takes forever. I had asked him how long he knew he'd been gay, which I said to him at the time was, I knew was kind of a funny question, but I was trying to engage in some conversation. I've got a teenager driving the car going down the highway and he kind of came out and said, well, I've always known I was different. I just told her, yeah, that I felt like that I should have been a boy. It was like a light bulb went off in my head. I knew that we were at a turning point at that moment. That's when I figured out that, like, maybe it's not about my sexual orientation, but about my gender identity. I think she was just really afraid that she was going to lose her child, and she just needed to figure out how to help me feel happy again. I worried about, you know, what does this mean for his future? What is this going to be like for him growing up? Is he going to be able to go to college and get a job and do all the things that we want to be able to do? And will he be able to have relationships? You know, Google becomes one's best friend. I think I spent the summer reading every transgender book that I could possibly find. My friends used to tease me and be like, you need to walk more like a boy. And like, we'd like do it in the hallway or something at school. <laughs> like watch other people walk and then you try to imitate what they're doing. <laughs> I know for us one of the, I think, biggest turning points was the day we went into Aiden's bedroom and we cleaned out his closet and we removed all the girls' clothes. And we went out and bought new underwear and new shirts and new whatever it was that he felt like he needed to be able to be who he was. We removed Mary that day from the house. If you get your name changed or you start dressing the way you want to dress, that feels good. But after a while, like knowing that it's still not completely there, it's hard. I remember like when I learned about the possibility of testosterone, I wanted to do it like right now. And I'm kind of freaking out in the background trying to figure out what does this all mean? You know, if, if my kid starts taking hormones, what's it going to do to him? And we connected with the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, and they helped reassure us that things would be okay and that there were lots of other kids just like my kid out there. And we started meeting people, and that helped. 
you go to the doctors and they give you your first shot and then you go home and like go to bed and it's like you want to wake up the next morning with like a beard or something. He got his first tee shot and we stopped to have dinner on the way home and I will never forget watching him walk from the booth to the bathroom. He walked taller and he walked with his shoulders out more. It was hysterical because I thought, wow, he's walking like a guy. And you know it had nothing to do with anything other than his attitude. You know, he was very proud of who he was. You know, when your child looks at you and says, I don't want to live as who I am anymore, I need to be who I am or I can't exist, you really have to get on board. You know, this isn't like, oh, I want an iPod. This is, I need to be who I am. I think it's really important that everybody has the opportunity to be who they are. I actually have a friend who, a little over a year ago, committed suicide and he was transgender. And the most of the stuff I do, I do for him so other people don't have to face what he faced because I know firsthand that it's terrifying to feel like you don't belong. I know that a lot of parents feel like they really mourn the loss of the child that they had. Although I sometimes wonder, would things have been different had he grown up as Mary? I don't really feel like I lost a child. I really feel like I've gained an amazing son. Aiden's story shows us how full and amazing a trans or gay kid's life can become. He went from being that kid who would skip class and cry in the hallway to having fun at school, learning how to walk like a guy. With support, he got to enjoy being himself instead of feeling so trapped that he couldn't imagine a way out. And his mom, Sue, pretty much sums it up for what parents can do to support their children. She dared to ask an uncomfortable question and then completely got behind his answer. She didn't try to protect him by talking him out of being trans. She protected him by supporting him fully to be himself. And the question is, how can we all do more of this in schools, in our families, as friends and communities? If you have some ideas or thoughts about anything else you've heard during this special, we'd love to hear them. Go to safespaceradio.com and click on Community Conversations to join the discussion. Coming up, we look at some strategies to reduce suicide attempts among LGBT teens that are surprisingly simple. But the biggest surprise? The kids these strategies help the most are straight boys. Find out why when we return. Welcome back to this special program from Safe Space Radio, a show where we explore difficult subjects that we'd struggle with less if we talked about them more. I'm Dr. Ann Hallward, and we're talking about the lives of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender teenagers. Throughout the show, we've heard how LGBTQ teens are at an increased risk for physical and emotional harm that takes its toll in the form of depression and suicide attempts. The good news is we can do something about this. We're gonna talk now about concrete changes that save lives and create the opportunities to thrive that we all want for our kids. We're gonna start with what our schools can do because it turns out that one of the most effective steps we can take to make things better for gay and transgender kids is for schools to create something called a GSTA, which stands for Gay Straight Trans Alliance. It's an after-school club where kids hang out together, share what's going on in their lives, and plan activities to spread awareness in their school. Cameron is a transgender boy, and every day at school, he lives in fear of being ostracized and laughed at, just for being there. Whenever I'm walking down the street, whenever I'm walking down the hall or sitting down in class, I am so afraid of offhand comments about me. I'm so afraid of hearing snickers. I'm so afraid of someone yelling out their window of their car yelling at me. But as soon as I come in here, I know I am not going to be judged at all. When Cameron joined a local GSTA, he found the one place where he didn't feel afraid. They treated me like a human being. Like, I could speak, and I wouldn't be accused of talking too much. For three years, I've been here, and it's so much better than it was. 
Now I'm standing up in class, standing up for myself. I am talking to people in the halls. I can confidently go up to someone and shake their hands and be like, yo, this is me. So how important are these after-school clubs? Dr. Elizabeth Sawick, the researcher we heard from earlier, conducted a massive study to find out what actually worked in schools when it came to reducing suicide attempts by lesbian, gay, and bisexual students. She discovered that the schools that did the following two things actually prevented suicides. The first thing was creating a GSTA in the school, and the second was adopting an anti-discrimination policy that explicitly protects LGBT youth. When both of those things were in place for at least three years, those schools reduced the number of suicide attempts by over 60%. That is huge, but that wasn't all. In schools that had gay-straight alliances, schools that had LGBTQ supportive policies, heterosexual boys were half as likely to have attempted suicide in the past year. Okay, so let's pause to take that in. You get a bunch of gay and trans kids in a room, create a policy to protect them, and that actually saves the lives of straight kids. Because the number of heterosexual adolescents who experience harassment because people thought they were gay is actually larger than the number of lesbian, gay, bisexual teens who experience it, in part because they're just a much bigger population. So the people who benefit the most from efforts to protect LGBTQ teens are actually straight boys. I'm guessing this is because bullying among boys is so focused on whether or not you are tough. And the names that boys get called for being emotionally expressive or openly caring or afraid are either suggestive of being gay or being like a girl. I was in the airport and I got a phone call out of the blue from a dad. And he's like, I'm not involved in any of this. I just, I own a construction company, but I read this and I just wanted to call and tell you, oh my God, this research, it saves lives. I have three boys and I'm pretty sure they're all straight, but I know that some of the bullying that happens to boys at this age is about being accused of being gay or or that kind of homophobic stuff. And it didn't occur to me that these kinds of programs, these kinds of policies, they change the school for everybody, including my kids. I mean, nobody wants young people to be dying of suicide. So when there's evidence that something can actually contribute to reducing those risks, it's important to pay attention to that. From a public health perspective, the impact of gay-straight trans alliances is astonishing. But one of the best things about them, they don't take much to get started. I provide muffins, and they just take it from there. That's Abby. She's a teacher in the public school system and the advisor to the GSTA at her high school. Abby's straight and is the first to admit that she hadn't spent much time thinking about these issues before she got involved. I've learned a lot, actually, from my GSTA. One of the topics that has come up a lot is gender pronouns. For me, that's a challenge. As a 56-year-old woman, I grew up with two genders, <laughs> and we always classified folks. And so the kids are always talking about, why do we even have to have genders? And it's been fascinating for me, and um, they're quite patient with me when I mess up. Knowing that this group of kids can be at such high risk... If you had one request that you wanted to make of high school teachers, one way that you thought they could make a difference, what would that be? I think the number one thing that a teacher could do is when they hear hate speech, to speak up. If they see bullying, to speak up. This happened to me in Down East Maine. I think I was showing a PowerPoint and I had Ellen DeGeneres on it and somebody said, oh, she's a lesbian and somebody came out with making a couple of comments. They weren't appropriate. And I challenged the students to think about the words that they were using and why did they feel the need to use those words. I mean, we don't talk about people's sexuality if they're heterosexual. So why did they feel the need to shout out that this person was a lesbian? Later, I found out this student who was in my class, very quiet, <laughs> um, very introverted student, gave me an award. I didn't realize she was part of the GSTA. I was not at that point, but um, I got an award for being the cool teacher of the month. Now, cool is not a word associated with me very often, I have to tell you. She 
thanked me for standing up. And she said, so many times teachers don't because they don't know how to address it and they don't know what to say. She said, even just saying that you don't agree sends a really strong message. That was very powerful for me. Once students know that the GSTA exists, I think it gives us the power to say, hey, it's not okay to talk like that. You need to respect everyone for whoever they are. So I think that that's one of the major benefits of a, a GSTA because it opens a dialogue that maybe would just be pushed under the rug. Part of being a good teacher is being a good role model because even as teenagers, kids are watching to see what we do. When you speak up like Abby did, it helps set the tone to create a safer place for all students. To take being a good role model one step further, if teachers who are gay, lesbian, or transgender themselves are able to be out and accepted, it might be the first time the students get to see an adult who's like them and have it be normal. 16 years ago, Betsy Parsons was one of the first teachers in Maine to come out of the closet. It was a frightening decision. She knew she might lose her job, and she was also just afraid for her own safety. But she was inspired to come out after a former student dropped by to catch up. She talked to me about the wonderful relationship she was in with a woman, and I was so happy for her. And I felt free at that point, since we were both grown-ups, to disclose this part of my life to her and the happiness I had in my relationship. At that point, she really stunned me by sharing what the reality of ninth grade had been like for her. I had no idea of the loneliness that she was experiencing, the alienation, the fear. She knew she was lesbian. She felt she could tell no one. And she really was quite hopeless about her future. I was just really shocked to hear how desperate that year had been and how close she had come to not being here. And at one point, I was in tears, and I asked her, what could I have done? What could I have done as your ninth grade teacher that would have made that year, and maybe high school in general, more bearable for you? She looked me right in the eye and said, you were a wonderful teacher. I respected you. My parents respected you. But Betsy, you know what you could have done that really would have made the difference for me? If I could have known that you and I were alike in this way, I would have had so much more hope for my life. She said, you could have been out. You could have been out. Once Betsy was open about who she was, gay and lesbian students began coming out of the woodwork to find her. They asked her to help create a gay-straight alliance at the school, which she did. Since then, she's continued that work, helping to start groups across the state and supporting other LGBT teachers who are coming out. The thing these strategies all have in common, GSTAs, anti-discrimination policies, faculty willing to speak up, and teachers who are out and accepted, is that they all help to change the culture at school. In addition to dramatically reducing the risk of depression and suicide, they create an atmosphere where kids feel safe being who they are, so they can focus on regular stuff, like complaining about homework or collecting likes on Instagram, or maybe even what they want to do when they grow up. Now I want to turn to how to help a child on a more personal one-to-one -one level. As LGBT teens cope with harassment and rejection, the most important thing you can do is be someone who listens and gets it, who helps them feel understood and taken seriously, to help that kid recognize their own courage. And these kids have to be courageous, to stand up and be who they are in a world that does not welcome them. Sienna had to do that before she was even out to herself. She came out as a lesbian when she was 14. But before that, she was in a debate class at a religious middle school where she found herself at odds with everyone else. We had a debate on whether or not Christians should marry people who aren't Christians. And all of the kids in my class were very adamantly, Christians should marry other Christians. It's just how it should work. And me, 12 years old, was feeling love is love and you should marry whoever you want. 
One of the reactions from the other kids in the class was, well, Sienna, that's not true because if a woman falls in love with another woman, that's wrong. So love can be wrong. And I was so shaken by that and I was so jarred. I could have sat down and been quiet and let the rest of my week unfold, but I was really mad and we debated. I think it was three days of full class periods and I was the only one that was arguing my side. Every night after these debates, Sienna would go home, tell her mom what had happened, and cry. I was really upset. I was a mess. And I'd never really been in that situation before, especially at 12 years old, surrounded by people who don't agree with me and are saying very aggressively that they don't agree with me. And then at the end of the three days, the teacher read the passages of the Bible that state homosexuality is a sin. And he reminded us that all sin is the same in God's eyes. And if you do a homosexual act or if you experience homosexual love, God sees you in the same way as he might see a murderer, as he might see a rapist, and as he might see a thief. And that was the conclusion of debate week. In some ways, it was very stressful and it was very sad for me, but I'm very glad that it happened to me. It has made me feel like I can be a strong person and advocate for what I believe in. And my parents felt for me a lot, but I am so glad that they sent me to Christian school so I could experience that. The research on resilience like Sienna's is clear. When a child knows they have at least one adult who really gets them and with whom they feel safe, their risk for suicide, substance abuse, dropping out of school, and all kinds of other self-destructive behavior goes way down. You don't have to have all the answers or know how to fix everything for them. You just have to listen and believe them when they tell you how bad it can get. Here's Dr. Sawick. I know that there's a lot of folks who have focused on that it gets better and are trying to be encouraging. I would say that I've seen a lot of pushback from young people where it's like, no, make it better now. I don't want to have hope that sometime down the road, you know, when I'm old, like 25, (laughs) it gets better. Right now it feels really unsurvivable. So I think it's really key for that hope for the future. You have to have those caring relationships now. You have to have hope for just tomorrow, not down the road. And that knowledge that somebody cares about you that you matter to somebody right now is an important piece in the research we're doing. I do like to point out that the majority of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender teens actually don't attempt suicide. And they don't end up with substance abuse problems. And they actually do survive and in some cases thrive despite the abuse. And often that's because they've got caring and connected and supportive family or friends or school teachers and other caring adults, coaches and folks in the wider community. Therapy is another effective resource for kids facing depression. A licensed therapist like a psychiatrist, psychologist or counselor can make a huge difference. From a larger cultural standpoint, The recent Supreme Court decision on marriage equality makes marriage accessible for lesbian and gay people and for trans folks who don't want to have to legally or surgically change their sex in order to get married. I asked Mary Bonato, one of the three attorneys who argued the case, whether she thought the decision would have any impact for kids who aren't thinking about marriage yet. I think over time the decision will affect the kind of world that we live in and its attitude toward all LGBT people, including younger LGBT people, we now have a generation who are going to grow up and come into adulthood and really be able to dream the dreams that they have and not clip them or censor them because they feel like they've fallen in love with someone of the wrong sex or they're not who somebody else thinks they're supposed to be or that they're somehow not normal or deficient. Having said that, we know that attitudes linger, so I think it's up to all of us to make sure that we make these promises of equal treatment, and that there is no shame in who we are, to make that a reality for people. 
We've spent a lot of time talking about the challenges that lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning kids face every day. The risks are real and have lasting and sadly sometimes fatal consequences. But as we've heard, there are things that each of us can do at home and in our communities to give them the same hope and opportunity that we want for all of our children. As we end this special, I want to share something I learned from the dozens of teenagers we spoke with. The truly inspiring thing I took from my conversations with these kids is how much courage it takes to be authentic and vulnerable. Daring to be who we really are for all of us in the face of so many pressures to fit in and please others is perhaps the most difficult task in life. These teenagers discover this much earlier than most of us ever have to. So maybe we can look at these kids with new eyes, understanding the extra weight they're carrying, how much they just need to feel accepted and safe, and how much it matters to have our support and our recognition that they're good. So what do you think? We'd love to hear your reactions and stories. Join our community conversation at safespaceradio.com. We've also posted information on organizations that support LGBTQ teenagers, including GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, and the Family Acceptance Project. And for resources on suicide, or if you just need someone to talk to anytime, day or night, visit thetrevorproject.org. Many thanks to senior producer and editor Shay Shackelford, producer and sound designer Gabe Graben, our editorial advisor Jim Russell, and Charles Beck at MPBN. Thanks to the Emmanuel and Pauline A. Lerner Foundation for supporting this project, and to Melissa Ropp, David Moltz, Maggie Murphy, and Betsy Parsons for their help with the show. And a special thanks to the many young people who spoke with us and the parents who gave us their permission. To subscribe to our podcast or stream any of the more than 250 shows on important and hard-to-talk-about subjects, visit safespaceradio.com. I'm Dr. Ann Hallward, and this has been a production of Safe Space Radio.